This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Queeros, Cami here. Oh my God, I'm incredibly excited to tell you that you can pre-order my book. I have a book coming up. It is about having an eating disorder and dating the captain of the football team and realizing that I was gay while attending a Catholic college where I could not come out at the same time as all the stuff in the movie Spotlight happened. It is funny. It is serious. It is lovely. It is called Save Yourself. I'm very proud of it. It comes out in March, March 2020, but you can pre-order it right now by going to saveyourselfbook.com. Please get those pre-orders in. It helps me make the New York Times bestseller list. So I am going to mention this probably on every query until March. I'm going to be out uh, doing a big book tour that is yet to be announced, and... Get behind this book. If you listen to this show, this is you could do me such a solid. If everybody that listened to this show bought the book, it would be a bestseller. It would be a bestseller. So I'm incredibly excited to tell you to go to saveyourselfbook.com and pre-order. Yes, yes. Also, hey, speaking of books, today on the show, my friends Tegan and Sarah Quinn from the band Tegan and Sarah, I got an opportunity to interview them last week and also host their one of their book launch events in Los Angeles. I really think these people are such talented artists and so good at speaking on their own behalf. I hope that you enjoy this interview. It's the only time I've had somebody back on the show, but it's because I had interviewed them separately and I thought it was a great chance to bring them back in together. So please enjoy this chat and go grab their book, High School. I've already read it and listened to it and I loved it. Sarah needed it. Thank you. And we are ready. Just so you know, I signed right here. (laughs) What a thrill. Just so you know. I'm sitting at a table signed by Sarah. <laughs> I, what an honor that must be to be so close to Sarah's signature. I bet it's you all have never cool. seen that from each nope. other. Pretty I always cool. have guests introduce themselves. You know that because you've both been on the podcast separately. Um, but will you introduce yourselves? Yes. Uh, my name is Tegan and I am Sarah's sister. And I am Sarah and I am Tegan's sister, younger sister. And we play in a band called Tegan and Sarah. Yes, younger by just... I've, it doesn't matter. Just don't, like a few, yeah. Don't underestimate how important those eight no, no, minutes I don't. were for me. Yeah, I, I don't. Like in womb time, eight minutes, it was amazing. How does that play out? I how? mean, I think it was probably extremely distressing. Imagine, <laughs> you come into this world, you're with this other baby developing, and then suddenly they're just like, ah! And they just go flying down the <laughs> tube or whatever it is. <laughs> The tube. And then you're just like, oh, shit. Sexuality, it's- body, body, <laughs> what is it called again? Anatomy 101. Tegan went flying down the tube, and I was, like, both terrified and also, like, it just got a lot better in this apartment. Right, and right. So it's definitely Sarah's done a lot played of a role in pre-birth life. therapy. Yes, yeah. that, that's, you're being serious, right? I mean, that's amidst like these jokes, this is definitely real. Of course it she is. Did. If she saw it's- this therapist, Cameron, you gotta do it. She, she... <laughs> This does, is not true. The therapy said it is it's true. not true. The way she you, does, you should have just said it. You set it up too much. Sorry, it's easy for me to tell you no. You do all your talking inside this plastic bag thing, and then they pop it at the end, and you come down. Oh, oh you did the thing. Come down a slide. Interesting. You're Interesting. actually you're actually born. Is the is the bag popping the placenta? And that's not how it works. So, Where did you do that thing? You did that no. thing. What? Come on. No, I did not. I just know you should have never agreed to do this with both of us. Listen, it's annoying. Just, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I just want it just to be feels very like you clear. guys know each other. You know what I mean? And there's like yeah. gonna be a whole rapport thing, and then yeah. here I am useless. Yeah. But I feel rapport-y with you. Yeah, no, I know. We're actually we have rapport. I really like you guys. That's just we a like true you. thing. Yeah. Well, that's good because I thought we were friends. We are so friends. Good to know. That's we good. are really we are friends. Um <laughs> okay. I was listening yesterday. One time to, you watched me eat a donut. What'd you say? 
One time you watched me eat a donut. That's right. Yeah, we went to we went to whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Our restaurant. We well, I also just mean it was it was between meals. It was like a yeah. Weird, but I'd walked. In you the guys sun sound really now. close. Very intimate friendship. <laughs> yeah, close it was friends. Between meals, we hung out and we you had a donut between me meals. Eat a donut. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay, we're gonna behave now. You go ahead and be in charge. Oh, I mean, I'd, I'm actually I'm in a zone right now where I'm cool with. I'm cool with either of us, but I'll I'll take this one. Oh, well, sure, if you want to. I was listening to the book yesterday. Um, that's part of that's part of why you're here. The other one is obviously the hang um, that we're having. But y'all have a book that is out now. Na- as Tomorrow. of now, when yeah. this yeah. podcast will be out. Oh shit! Sorry, um, it's out now. Say it again. It's out now. Yeah, it's out now. It's because this is the future, so yeah. it's out now. And I was, and it ha- it comes with the audio book is. I don't think I've actually experienced anything like that. Did you have you like really? a model? You're really listening to it, the audiobook. Yeah, I'm listening to it. Oh, I thought when you said, I've been listening to your book, I thought you just made it like you did the mixy do thing where you think that you're talking about the album, but you're talking, but you're listening to the audiobook. Yes, they sent me the audiobook and I started That's listening f- to it. What do you think about it? You're like the first person we know who's listened to the audiobook. Oh my God, are you serious? Yes. Oh, um, I have never really heard anything like it. I was thinking it, that, because I also have copies of the book. I literally have copies of the book. I have an advanced reading copy, and then I have like a hardcover, like this is the copy. It's my whole house. I've had to move everything out. It's That's just how gay copies you are, of like, high school. Wait, yeah, um, they're just like, it's like how many copies in different formats yes, of the exactly. book you have shows how gay you are. Exactly. And you guys know I'm level... 10 gay so I have every I have it I actually do really like to have things on multiple mediums but um yeah the audiobook is really unusual because you found while you were writing the book these tapes is that what the deal is yeah that's what it says yes yeah. where were they we, where were the tapes we went to a storage unit that we have with all our music stuff in it and we thought we were going to find cassette tapes with our first band's music our first band was called plunk plunk yes yeah and we had two cassette tapes that we had recorded with plunk one was called who's in your band and the other one was called play day we found neither and then we thought we might find some sarah and tegan tapes which was our next band before we became tegan and sarah we also found none of those but what we did find that day was maybe 20 plus hours of vhs um, recordings of us video that we had shot in the 90s when we were in high school so we have that, and then some friends of ours helped us. It took almost six months to find all the other tapes. It's so weird that we didn't keep any of our music, and no one we love kept it either. But here we are. Wow. And that stuff. That's so in the audiobook. Y- yeah, yeah so that's, that's, stuff, what you were, yeah. that's what you were telling us about. Yeah. Right. No, well, I, I just heard mean, it. Does it sound cool? It does sound cool. It's Your voices are so. It sounds like you, but yeah. you also have, you know, thicker accents and then. Um, <laughs> Like Canadian accents? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe maybe to you, you don't even have accents. But on the, on the tape, <laughs> you have some thicker accents. And then you also, um, it sounds like you, but without, we use our vocal cords throughout our life and get calluses mm-hmm. and our voices deepen. We don't talk about this a lot. If people aren't men going through puberty, we don't talk about how like our voices deepen through or life and right. change. Right. But you both sound very young. Like you sound very um 16 years old. You sound very 16 years old. I wonder so when you listened to them or saw them, did that did you sound different to you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We I talk about that content. Yeah. No, oh, we, right. I mean yeah, like when I listen to anything from a certain sort of like let's call it like the first like four or five years of our career like to me we sound really Canadian and I think I have started to wonder if I have adopted this kind of performative voice that is more American because I was so I mean Tegan and I both got made fun of all the time we would do press and people would be like oh how about that and like what do you think about that eh and so we were just like well geez note to self like definitely drop all the Canadian stuff because we were getting made fun of (laughs) and so Americans are rude but I just think like it also taught us how to blend in with you better (laughs) 100% and it so is no, like, there's no doubt in my mind that you absolutely <laughs> changed your, like, no, no doubt. Adaptation 101, we were like, well, Americans so, are very rude, and so we need to start talking like that. So I, think, I never say drama anymore. I never say pasta anymore. Like, oh, there's something else that you said. Think they were, 
I think people thought they were teasing us, though. I do feel the need oh, to. Oh, Tegan to is point afraid because I'm saying Americans are rude. Well, Listen, you know, I, they were just teasing alone us. Alone in we my were kitchen, young. sometimes I make I make pasta and I say to myself, "I'm making pasta," <laughs> just so that I can say it. You know, God. Yeah, well, we sure. also sang in British accents that changed too. Oh, I want to talk about that in just a moment. Yes, Great. I do. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, okay. I hear that you're saying people were thought they were teasing you because you were yes. young. Yes. But that is something that I've, you know, so often thought with with both of you is the idea that you would have to represent yourself on any level at the age that you were when you started this band and then also at the age that you were when the band started to have success mm-hmm. is totally bonkers to me. Like I cannot mm-hmm. imagine doing an, an introspective interview about like why I and your songs always, you know, were very like emotional, you know, they they were really raw and personal. And so it would strike me that the interview questions would then be like, mm-hmm. what is this about and how serious, but you're, but you're, you know, a team. I think, it, I think what, I think you're, t- you're touching on something that's really, that is hard for a lot of people to believe, which is why I'm really glad we have these archival materials, is that I think there's this idea that what we were thinking about, feeling, singing about, that those things were fantasies, like that they were ideas that we had about love or had mm. about life. And I think what is significant, you know, for me anyways, about talking about the book and explaining what had happened to us, like I, between the ages of of 15 and 18, I had full romantic intimate sexual and and emotional relationships with women in secret i was dealing with homophobia i was dealing with drugs and alcohol i was dealing with divorce i was dealing with you know violence i was dealing with trauma and so the things that we are writing about or thinking about at that time you know they're very authentic um advanced kind of experiences and while we were young and we were sort of filtering them through an adolescent lens um i think the music and the the interviews once you get past the sort of british accents and the sort of canadian accent <laughs> you know what is what sort of is nested there is like is very substantial um you know information in and experience mm-hmm. but deeply complex for us to talk about with adults when we were teenagers. Totally. Oh, yeah. And we had you none know, of the language. Explain no. yourself language. to us. Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's exactly what that sounds like. Yeah. And there was such an awkwardness on their part too, which I didn't understand at that time. And now with like 20 years, you know, experience, I have some such a different perspective that the majority of the people we spoke to were likely men in their 30s and 40s. And so right. I can remember receiving a lot of criticism from the queer community when we were in our early 20s because they felt we weren't gay enough and didn't talk enough about being queer, like as if we had a wow. say over what was printed, like, you know, just a disconnect on how things work. Um, but there also was just such discomfort I think at that at that stage of our career, we were so young. The journalists were so much older than us. There was the vernacular around queer identity and sexuality was so small at that time. And so I think a lot of journalists that I spoke to about myself didn't want to dig too deep into the music because there was a, an awkwardness, you know. And that makes I sense. Think yeah. It just made the early part of our career and our association to the industry. Like Sarah and I were so anti-establishment when we graduated high school and got into the industry. And I think part of it was just discomfort. We just didn't, we knew we weren't like everybody else. And so rather than be rejected, we just wanted to make our own path. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, I think it's anybody that listens to, you know, I listened to something that you wrote now and it's and it and it says I was 19 and it's like, oh, I think you were maybe singing that at an age that is like pretty close to that <laughs> as opposed to like ABBA singing about a dancing queen who's 17. I think they were maybe like in their late 20s slash 32. Um, right. So it's just a different sort of a thing, I think, yeah. uh, for folks to a, feel nostalgia. It, it, but you're like, no, this is like now, you know, I'm like, I'm singing it's, about now or whatever. It's also so nice yeah. as you get older and you, you know, do you, like like for Tegan now to sing that song about feeling 19. I mean, there's just this, all this like adult voice and perspective and context that comes in now when we sing those those songs too. And it, you know, I, I always wondered like, are we going to feel weird and creepy about the songs we wrote as teenagers and young adults as we start to get older? I mean, we're almost 40 now. So it's, it is kind of strange sometimes to like sing this material that is about our younger selves or, you know, in the case of the memory and and our new album, we are writing and um, revealing things about ourselves when we were 
when we were very young, when we were 15, 16, 17 years old, like to handle that material required a lot of sort of like tenderness and also like I don't want to exploit 15 year old me who is having sex for the first time with a girl like I don't want to exploit that girl that I was having relationships with and a relationship with so you know there's all this kind of like gentle gentle sort of like gentleness that we're sort of like using right now because I I want to talk about these things and I want to talk about them thoughtfully and with a sort of sophisticated emotional intelligence but I don't want to like also pretend like I don't know. I don't like when people make this assumption that at 15 years old, we don't have these complicated emotional or sexual identities. And and at least for me, I did. And so I don't like this idea that I was like writing in bubble letters in my journal, like, I like Naomi. You know, like, that is not what I was thinking about Naomi, my first secret girlfriend. Yes. And also, I mean, I don't know about... Naomi specifically, who's in the book, but I n- know you both are still friends with your high school friends, that you're, that you're yeah. both still close with some of the folks that might be in this book. And I just, I just wrote a memoir myself, and I will say that it is really strange to try to figure out what you're going to include about other people and what you're going to include mm-hmm. about yourself, especially for somebody who cares so much about um, queer representation, as I know all three of us do, and trying to figure out like what to be honest about versus what you're talking about, this like line of self-exploitation. But what what you both did is like, this is detailed. Like this is like a very detailed book. It is like you're, you have some, clearly some really strong memories of this time. Like I just mean, it is like, it is like you are talking about stuff. So in such a visceral way, is that just how you remember things? Or is that just how you remember this time? Like, is this, is high school so specific in this way? Or is this how, like, could you talk this way about your early days touring, things like that? I think that it's, I think it's safe to say both Sarah and I do have very good memories. And we are storytellers by nature. And so, you know, high school, but a lot of our life we've spent telling the stories of our life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it's a product of being so transient and constantly traveling. And so having to tell people about ourselves and tell our story to our friends and family and our activities over and over and over again, we've always had uh, a passion for documenting ourselves long before there was social media. So starting with our childhood, there's an enormous cache of, of documentation. So I will admit that I think we have very strong memories. We are still friends with all our friends from high school. So those memories are pretty fresh because we talk about each other and our experiences a lot. But we also found, I mean, God, probably 28 or 30 hours of VHS footage from that time. Our friends were incredibly generous. They sent us anything they'd kept from that time. So we had countless journals and notes. I mean, I connected with an old friend who I hadn't seen since high school, and she showed up to the dinner with a binder with 50 notes Sarah and I had written her that... (laughs) like laid out our entire grade 10 experience. So we had a lot of help writing the book in that sense. I also sat down with most of the key people in the book and interviewed them all. Some of them gave me four or five hours of their time. We scanned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos over the uh, 18 months that we were working on the book. So, So we had a lot of help. We didn't just sit down don't picture us in a forest with I'm literally but like, how the fuck did they remember yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. Got no, it. We, Crowdsourcing. A lot. Like, we had a you lot took it to, the to team. pull from. Yeah. We, we, we almost, like, wrote the book. And there was an enormous amount of research that happened. Mm-hmm. But, but, I, but I, again, I will stress that, like, I think we do just remember a ton from our lives. And, I, and the last thing that you said about was it just a, like, really memorable time or significant? Like, it was. We yeah. established that we were queer. We had our first significant relationships. We established that we were creative, that we could write music. Yes. We started writing music, became famous overnight in a strange way, using air quotes, in in our hometown of Calgary, and right. got offered a record deal. I mean, it's a significant time. Our parents split up. We ex- spent years experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Like, we, it was a very memorable time. I understand why most people want to forget high school. Um, I understand why a lot of people would never revisit their past. But I think for us... It is a special time. It was a tough time, but it was but it was a really significant time. And I think we understood that there was great purpose in sharing the story of our establishing who we were. And and yeah. so it was worth returning to. You know, I, I actually can really relate to that. I my the time in my life I have pulled the most from creatively mm-hmm. is 
a very similar time. I mean, I was like a, a little bit skewed, a little bit older because it was like early college, like at the beginning of it to to mid twenties. Yeah. Um, but very similar, like set of things, figuring out the purpose, like what I thought I wanted to do and who I thought I wanted to do this with. And then also like sort of a breakdown of the culture that I'd grown up in, realizing I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be Catholic, like all those things. So it's writing about something that is as significant as that to me felt like, um, because that's kind of the, it, it felt freeing. To, it feels freeing to pull from that time. It also sometimes makes me feel a little bit like I can't catch up with myself. And I'm I'm like, when will I get over this? You know, like that's yeah. like, that's that other Never. side of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I could write another book about high school. How <laughs> fucked up is that? No, I mean, that's. That that's exactly what I accidentally what I'm told my stepdad Bruce that the book the first draft was over 500 pages and he it keeps texting me asking me to please send him the f- the full unedited the full. version. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> and I'm like I feel you Bruce. Do you yeah. know there's also this kind of like interesting I, I don't know if I've ever had this experience before. I mean, I've had it briefly when I'm writing music, but there was something really meditative and also very rigorous about the mental part of writing the book that I felt um, quite, like, even on a subconscious level, I felt really deeply immersed in the in the story and in that time period. Like, I actually, I'm a, I'm a big dreamer. I'm a, like a vivid dreamer person. I really, I go deep into my dreams and I remember them. They're very detailed. And um, during the time when we were writing the memoir, I dreamed of myself as a young person again. I dreamed about people who, who we'd lost, people who had died. Um, I dreamed in the in the spaces that I was writing about. And so I did feel like there was this like really deep tissue kind of thing happening for me. And I remember when we find when we handed in our final draft of the book, I felt a sort of grief actually about um about leaving Tegan as a young person and my mom and my stepdad, because that was the last time we all lived together in the same house. And I in some ways I I don't remember feeling any of that when it was actually happening. Like I was so deeply excited, anxious, desperate to get out of that house, out of that city, out of that prison of my own closeted shame and all of that stuff. And I, while I was terrified, I was also like desperate to get on, get on with it. And yeah. in revisiting all that material, I actually sort of suffered a, a kind of different grief where I I I I longed for and missed my family in a way that I hadn't for years and I um and I almost didn't want to stop writing about it or thinking about it however even though it was painful like I felt in there was a lot of this process I think even a little bit more than Tegan I mean I I was in therapy and I was processing a lot of the trauma that had happened to me as a young person and some of which didn't I didn't want to put in the book and I didn't want to process with the public um I was really specific about wanting to talk about my queer identity um, without going into some of the other stuff that had really upset me or bothered me or or traumatized me as a young person. But so I was also processing a lot of that. And I just was like, I, I really resonate with what you said. Like, I, I really remember sitting in therapy and being like, good God, like I just spent a year writing about this time period of my life. I lived through it. Will I ever get past it? What mm-hmm. do I, how do I get through this? But I have a question, like, I mean, for both of you, but 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 just responding to what you said, Cameron, like, but I wonder if we're really obsessed with that time in our lives, not just because it was seminal and significant and in some cases traumatizing and informative, but but also because there were no stories like ours at that time for us to relate to. And so the way that we can attach to characters, stories, movies, celebrities, idols, musicians now and see ourselves reflected, there was such an absence of that in our young lives that I wonder if our desire to go back and mind that and to share is just a desire to find finally have something to contextualize what happened like what we experienced good and bad like it absolutely just, we didn't have any of that so we're creating something now that we can attach to. I don't I don't know if, like if well that's- I mean that's absolutely true and I think it's one thing that's so interesting about you both working on this project is the you know folks can come see you perform live because you're on, you're going on tour. They can like listen to your record at home. They can read this book, or they could listen to the audiobook and like hear your old voices. You know your younger voices, <laughs> and then also they could go back and find like 
your early albums and then they can listen to the con 10 and like listen to your later voices singing your early songs like you have you are all um the two of you are really creating like a full um like your own universe of things that it's like the marvel universe <laughs> where the stuff we're exactly we're, like marvel we're, exactly we're stuff to, <laughs> but where things refer back you know yeah to yeah. each other and to themselves and i think to your point about like how much space there is in the world around queer identity it's literally like we could have this record be like a seminal record in our career we could also like re-release it with artists that we love covering those songs and like there's enough space for yeah. both of those things because there's very because there are very few people still today that yeah. are occupying the space that you both are in you know so it's yeah. literally like you can make work about your work like that is actually um there's well, especially, need well, especially for it. when you feel there's need for it <laughs> yeah. especially when you feel like the first time around i mean i'm borrowing this from like I, I had seen a, a few people say this online and I thought to myself, geez, that's like, that's really accurate. But I don't think we've ever been shy about the fact that we didn't feel realized or understood in the early part of our career or in the early part of our lives. And when you don't feel that, it nags at you. And I think this desire to go back and number one, most importantly, I wanted to go back and look at that time period of my life and decide for myself what I remember feeling about it, thinking about it. I wanted to hear the music again. I wanted to see the video again. I I didn't want that that sort of distorted monster under the bed feeling I had about high school to exist anymore. Yes. I wanted to go back and force myself to look at those memories, to look at my body, to look at to oh listen to that music, and I wanted to I wanted to see it again and reprocess it and then reprocess it again and again and again until I felt like I could really see myself. And and go on tour and play that footage <laughs> in front of an audience and not want to die. No, but I think yeah. it's like I think that's a significant sort of like um, a sort of a, a really like therapeutic process, and then and then and then publicly, I wanted to force the people who I felt had not seen us the first time. I want them to go back and see us again, and I want them to look at us again and tell me that they don't see something different than they did the first time. That's because so to wild. Me, it feels real. <laughs> so, what was the last thing you said? That, that I feel like we all should go back and reprocess that time. I want the pe- I want journalists to do it. I oh, want the fans God. to do it, and I want to do it. And I want to do it because I just I feel like it might be the only way for me to get over how misunderstood, misrepresented, how the homophobia that existed, the misogyny that existed in that that we were being oh critiqued God. through that very specific lens. And I I re- I want, I demand to be reconsidered. I want my art to be reconsidered through today's 2019 lens. So you have become the adult that took your teen self seriously. I I thank you for putting it so succinctly. I feel like for the first time I realized that that narrative in my brain was not my own. Mm-hmm. It was it was the society and the culture and the adults who like, you know, our first press, I really, really sort of like I couldn't get over our early press because and I never could exactly tell people why. I mean, I could tell them lots of things about why I felt upset. But all of a sudden I'm sitting in therapy. I'm 38 years old and I'm crying and I'm saying I'm telling my therapist about what people you would say about us. And all of a sudden I realized like these were 30, 40, 50 year old men talking about my 17 year old body, my 17 year old songs, my 17 year old heart. And it suddenly made me feel enraged. And I just thought to myself, I want to protect the younger me and I want to give the younger me the credit I think I deserve. And part of that process was like learning like as much as like this sounds like very like touchy-feely therapy I needed to go back and learn how to love myself and see myself without all of that bullshit that I felt when I was 17 Mm -hmm. like I read a bad review where somebody would like say there was a review when we were in high school in grade 12 we were in the biggest music magazine in Calgary and there was a huge we were on the cover of the magazine and there was a huge big long article with us and the whole first page of the article is about how much this guy hates the kind of music we make he literally says i have to go and get like basically pissed drunk to listen to this kind of music 
And then he talks about how. But then he loves it. But then he loves us and he's so surprised. And yeah, sure, fine. We we don't sing very well and our guitar playing is pretty rudimentary. But like he thinks we're the future of this kind of music. And I think about it now and I thought like what a compliment at 17. I just thought to myself, lucky me that this guy was able to withstand the horror of listening to our music <laughs> and saw a future for us. Thank thank you, sir. And now I'm at 38. I'm like, you're a dick face. Like, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> like, well, like, what kind of music journalism is that? It's you know? the whole thing. I mean, yes, of course. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I've actually been thinking about this a lot recently. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about how, um, for a long time... And I certainly have done interviews about this and tried to like relate to um, older male comics who might be doing the interview or even like some or it's a straight woman or it's another queer person. Um, I have for a long time, I think, talked about my coming out um, with like a distance, almost like. It was really bad. You know, like I have jokes about it um, mm-hmm. to take the like gut punch out of it. I um, talk about, I, you know, I'll say the sentence, it was really bad. And then now things are great because that's the next mm-hmm. question that people ask. You know, like, mm-hmm. well, how, it's always, it's, you know, the focus on how'd your family take it. But then there's the focus on and how is that now? And it's like, well, I'm like fully an adult now. So my my folks are like chill with me because they wouldn't. They wouldn't be in my life if they were, mm-hmm. if this was a problem. I'm, I'm an adult. Like it's, not, you know, but, um, the, and I, and this, this I think has an application to a lot of what we're talking about now as a community, because I even hear queer people constantly minimize the, process that young people are going through right now it's better now like that's the same as this sentence that i was saying of like Mm -hmm. it was bad but it's better now like we just Mm -hmm. i think we're you know all obsessed with following this like sort of straight narrative that like we've you know we've survived it or whatever like individually we've survived it or as a culture we're in a different place and Mm -hmm. we really don't get to spend any time at the beginning of that sentence about like well, no, when you like straight things, up, we got like shit was fucking bad, and I yeah. was dropped by the people and places that I trusted. The only people and places that I trusted, and I know in your situation it wasn't exactly the same, but there's there's like there are multiple tracks that are uh you all or your or folks around you like talking about the concept of homosexuality in yeah. the audiobook and you know like. I hear the pain in that and yeah yeah it's, it's a complex it's a complex it's 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 really interesting to me to think about where the desire to make it okay for everybody comes from you know so when we talk about coming out or coming to terms with our identity or sexuality or when we talk about the early part of our career there was a long stretch where I wanted to make it less uncomfortable for the people who loved us and cared about us and the people who work for us who were there I want to get past I do I do have a desire to get past all of that and stop bringing it up and stop being upset about it a couple years ago 
I got together all the quotes and we had someone help us do this too, like searched through all of our early press to find all the really disgusting things that people said about us so that we could make a t-shirt and like sell it and then like donate the money. And I felt resistance on every level, even people who work for us, even Sarah. I felt like there was resistance because it's like, don't alienate all these publications because it was enemy pitchforks. That wasn't why I was upset. No, that's what I'm saying. There was a variety of reasons why people didn't want to do this. But for me, it wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't thinking about anyone else for myself. For me, creating this shirt and and acknowledging all the things that were said about us and then putting it out into the world, like owning it and saying, this is the things people said about us and look at, we, we, we made it anyway. Yeah. And we thrived and survived and benefited and all these other bands I wanted to be compared to and all these other bands that we were left out of the scene and like, and, and we're never good as they're gone and we're still here and not in like a, we're like last lesbian standing way, like in a, <laughs> like in a cool, hip, relevant, still really growing kind of way. Yeah, you And I wanted cool. to put the shirt out. Yeah, and I wanted to put the shirt out as a way to say like I'm not embarrassed I'm not ashamed of what people said about us and I'm not even intentionally trying to shame those people I'm saying like look at how much has changed like you wouldn't get away with saying these things about us now I mean people can but not publications not not reputable music publications Mm -hmm. like that did it you know even 10 years ago I mean I think and for me the desire to make everybody feel okay about that to stop wiping the slate clean to to Mm -hmm. not look back to not make our managers or the people who worked on our project or the bandmates who laughed along to try to make it seem okay like I just I want to make it better for everybody but I think I've hit the point in my life where I don't care if it's uncomfortable to go back and talk about coming out as hard or mm-hmm. our career as hard or being criticized or being out as hard. And and I think, you know, very long-winded way of saying that I think that that's a battle that I'll always f- sort of be waging inside of myself. Like, I want to admit how hard it is. I don't want to have to be over it. I, do, I want to be okay with saying... I felt really uncomfortable and yeah. it, and it felt really unfair. But maybe you can't be over it until like I mean you made a really good point about which one of us Cameron? Cameron. <laughs> Tegan's always making great points. <laughs> no, but you made a really great point about I just wanted to know if I should smile and say thank you or if I should just <laughs> No, no, you're making a good point, but I think you know Cameron you said the thing about like also too when things get better I think there is this sort of, I mean, that we can talk about this in, 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 with any community who has been marginalized, discriminated against. We can talk about this with, you know, in any kind of sort of historical context. But like when things improve, no matter how small the improvement is, there is a desire both within the community and outside of it to sort of focus on the good stuff. Of course. Let's not go back and dwell on the bad stuff. But what if you never even got to talk about what made you feel bad? Like I didn't get to talk about the fact that i cried and you know and and felt i mean small and scared and ashamed in those situations i didn't get to talk about that i i didn't get well, to share that with anybody the, i'm going to get the shirt made for you no <laughs> i don't want to do i don't want to do the shirt because for me i also think it was a process for me that i didn't want I wanted to talk about my own shame and homophobia, and I wanted to talk about my own trauma before I used other people's words to remind people of what it used to feel like for me. I didn't, Wait, yeah, so I, does that mean we could do the shirt now? I mean, now I'd probably do the shirt. But I think Emmy, did you hear that? Yeah. Did you get the shirts being <laughs> made? Get, get the, the shirt. trauma shirt like ready. To please get the have trauma a, shirt. You we'll know, call it the trauma I'm shirt. Send I you one, really, I'll send you three. Yes, you, I really... I am going to say it was not a shirt, but I have had this same instinct to... Yeah. Um, you know, something that I did for a while was if somebody would say something, I didn't even do it that many times, but if somebody would say something truly horrible, then like I would tweet that out, you know, like yeah. uh, take a screenshot of it. Mm. And um, that was years ago. And it just never, Mm-mm. it never gave me what I wanted. Yeah. There was never – because what I wanted – what was always difficult for me about it <laughs> was that the response would be either, like, silence, um, mm-hmm. like, shut up, or, um, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that this happened to you this <laughs> right, one yeah. time, essentially. Yeah. And you're I like, still right. feel like this sort of is the vibe that we like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Oh my God, I can't believe this like sort of shock. And um, 
that's actually why I don't really talk about this stuff because I think the only thing that would feel good to me is not, and I can't control people's reactions. So I just have to share it with people that are more safe <laughs> Do ever, than in the yeah. universe. Because the only thing that would feel yeah. good to me is for somebody to say, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe this is what your entire experience of the world is. You know, like, right, I, right, like right, that's right. like, it's not, it's not this, <laughs> this vision typical like, comment. It's I want like someone to like flip everything. out. Like I want to like tell a straight person like, I feel really upset because of homophobia and they just go mad. Like they just like flip yes! a, like a couch over yes! and they're like, like I just want them to flip out and then you go like, oh my God, calm down. It's okay. I'm fine. Like <laughs> or that even, might make me, even like other that queer might make people. me feel better. Even other queer people because I do feel yeah. sometimes that even other queer people just like it. Like that's our fight. That are that, have, but that's, that's our a fight distance. though. Like I will, I would say like, Tegan, I, I'm so upset about this thing and Tegan would go, can we just like, can we put it under the rug? Like, can we just leave it alone? Like, we would have that battle with each other because there was times in Tegan's life where she was like, hey, it got better, Sarah. I don't know if you heard about it, but well, it did. Hashtag I it got better. don't have a twin, and so I've had that fight within my own body, by the way. Yeah. Just in case, if you don't yeah. have a counterpoint out there in the world, this conversation <laughs> of like, focus on the good and like, it got better and like, let's move forward and like, no, fuck, fuck this. Like, people need to know about this. Like that, I think that's every, you know, to your point about people from marginalized community, I think that's literally like the... Yes. The, like, Do you think hamster I'm wheel that's interview. inside of our hearts? I'm, I'm already, I was so into this and then I'm already like, I'm like, the two of you need to get over it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, that's <laughs> like, right. It can happen Fucking in like tell us minutes. to shut the fuck up. Move shut on. Shut the fuck up. Move on. I want to say, can I just say one final thing about this? This has also been something that but I- But this is the final figured, thing. If you ever bring it up again, I will don't never bring it up again. We'll activate I'll never bring the trap door that is under your seat. What I've also learned about myself is that in talking about these things, what I was really avoiding talking about was how much I hated myself. It was always about how other people hated me. It was always about the world at large. It was always about, well, I had this one experience and it made me feel really, really, really bad. Oh, I'm so sorry that experience happened to you. Geez, I still feel like garbage. And I think what I have struggled with is talking about my own homophobia, my own internalized homophobia. And I don't mean I hate gay people. I mean, I hate myself. And so in those experiences, when I would read these terrible things, what I struggled with was that it proved to me, it was evident, it was this like huge file folder in my brain that was proving, yes, you are this crappy person. Yes, you are gross. Yes, the feelings that you've had since you were a little kid are bad. They're wrong. Mm -hmm. There's something about you that deserves this. And I think in talking about my own homophobia, I have felt that weight lessen. And I feel yeah. like the more that I think about when I when I was able to assign a reason, like, why do I why do I feel all this self-hatred? Oh, that is part of feeling homophobic. I feel this way because people made me feel bad or I associated really bad things with being gay before I even knew that I was gay or that sure. I was associated. Like, you know, I've been Tegan, I'm sure will be horrified by this. But like one of the things that I started to realize People have been asking me and taking a lot like representation questions like, did you have representation when you were young? Did you have books like oh, the one God, you wrote? Again. And I was like, <laughs> no, I didn't. And I was like, and someone asked me, like, do you remember when you learned about homosexuality? Like, and I'm not talking about like little kids calling each other gay on the on the playground. Like, and for me, I know that I learned about homosexuality. I learned the word homosexuality because of Jeffrey Dahmer. The serial killer who killed Oh my gay God. Men. You don't have to tell me who Jeffrey Dahmer is. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Dissolving bodies. I was in third grade. I was in third grade and I was, I used to read the Calgary Sun because mm -hmm. we had a, we had a subscription to the Calgary Sun. I loved the Calgary Flames, the hockey team, and I would read the, the stats and scores. And that sort of evolved into reading the newspaper, which was a little above my emotional. I shouldn't have been reading the newspaper front to back unsupervised, but I was. No offense to my parents, but like little too much darkness in there. And during the summer where all the stuff with Jeffrey Dahmer was happening, stuff with Jeffrey Dahmer was happening, I was figuring out what homosexuality was and starting to make a loose link to what I was. So like that is and that's not an anecdote. That's not me trying to be funny. That is how I this like, you know, if you go back into your origin story and your earliest memory of what you might be is a serial killer who eats other gay people. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> that's there. also in the Marvel universe. But yes. it's like there's a lot to unpack there, and it's like so when I start to think about like where does my homophobia come from? Where does yeah, my deep, right. deep cellular discomfort come from? It's because I didn't have any good feelings, any good examples, any yeah. good stories, nothing. And you have to right. unpack that. You have to talk about that and unpack it. I mean, for yeah. me, a lot of this is also tied to. Um, 
misogyny. For me, sure, misogyny intersects with my um, homophobia in like such a strong way because I mm-hmm. was never enough of a woman in a culture where like women were really just for babies. Um, and modeling. Honestly, Catholics don't even give a shit about modeling. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, <laughs> My enough. specific culture, straight up, just for babies. Or Jesus you can be was the only model. Yes, yeah. Jesus yeah. Yeah. Was could be, be a nun, it. sort of. But okay. um, I... Uh, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, sort of. Sort of, that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm curious about having, like, seen the... Well, first of all, the way you are describing yourselves in the book, like, like getting first bras or having like really long hair and then Mm -hmm. there's photos that go along with that and Mm -hmm. um y'all look like normal goofball teens like you look Mm -hmm. very of the era you know Mm -hmm. um and then I see you both today I know how you present yourselves and I also know that it like really has changed over time with different albums and also as you've gotten older. Um, what is it like to, for you to see the pictures of those people and then be sort of trying to figure out where to position yourself as you go and sell this book? Like I just, I, I that was, I like opened it up and was like, cause I had seen some of the, um, like the publicity photos. Like I'd seen some of the photos that you, you are doing and the look that you have right now, which is sort of like a more soft makeup than mm-hmm. I've seen in the past from some of you, from some of the other stuff that you've done. And then you both have kind of, um, what is this, chin length hair right now? And so it's like, like other <laughs> times, in, well, other times you've had like, I have it's like, like headphone length. Hair. Yeah, headphone length hair. Yeah, other times you're like, I have a fucked up Slightly like punk rock hair, hair or yeah. like, you know, like really intense eye makeup or something. And yeah. you're just kind of looking like adult humans, but also you're looking um, maybe more Beautiful, feminine in the face than sometimes, oh. sometimes I've seen your makeup look. So like, yeah. what does this all feel like? Well, I'll say this, first of all, that, I think we do look like normal teenagers too. And I think that's how I knew it was okay to go back and write this book was that it had been long enough and there was enough distance that when I look at the pictures, I see very sweet, very cute, very normal looking teenagers. And I hate this word normal though. Well, normal meaning like we were really weird. We're wearing like like gigantic raver pants. And what I'm saying is that up until this point in my life, when I looked back at that era of photos and that time in my life, I felt disgusted with myself. I was like, ugh, we dress so gross. I have so much acne. My hair is so ugly. Why didn't I get a haircut? You know, I, why did I dress like that? And now I look back and I'm like, we just look like teenagers. We just, we look yes. sweet. And I'm sorry for the word normal. You're right to push back on that word. <laughs> I think I'm simply... Shame on you. Let me, Shame allow, me to, allow me to further illustrate what I mean. You know how there's like one person in high school who like really knew how the fuck to do their hair yes. and like really knew yes. how to like tweeze their eyebrows in a way that was like completely in alignment with what culture with what? expected. And yeah. where you looked at them and you said, I assume you have found your look and we'll keep this forever. And they <laughs> yes. do. And we have some friends like that. <laughs> that was not me in high school. No, and based on these either. photos, this also was not you. <laughs> no, it wasn't us. And you know, a big part of... Again, like a big part of going back and writing this book was, as Sarah said earlier, rewriting this narrative that had been written by everybody else that we had adopted as our own. Because I, you know, I think that for us, a really big transition happened as soon as we graduated. Literally on our 18th birthday, which was two months after we graduated, we shaved our heads. And yes. We sort of became kind of anti-establishment. We we kind of decided that we wanted to f- kind of forge our own path and and embrace our alternativeness and we weren't yet out but I think this was like our first step towards acknowledging that we were going to be different and that that was going to entail a different path for us than maybe other people like that we were friends with but also other artists and I think for me when it came time to sort of look at how to market this new book high school but also the record hey I'm just like you starting with the title itself was this um this tonal energy and mood of getting down off the stage, getting down off the platform that we've sort of been put up on, but also have helped build for the last 20 years and become one with like our audience and the world and culture and our community and mm-hmm. ourselves and and return back to a time where we weren't, 
you know, iconic international yeah. pop rock duo, Absolutely. Tegan and Sarah, and just kind of just be us again. And, you know, kind of just, I mean, there's definitely a nod to that time in the way that we're you know, strategically dressing, I guess, but also that's just happening in mm-hmm. culture right now. I feel like there's just like people like the 90s again. 90s and are it's back. Like, cool. We don't have to wear super skin tight jeans. We can have maybe a slight taper. That's great. Right. But, you know, like, I don't know. Like, we're kind of just embracing it. But I think, I think part of it is just, yeah, just returning to a bit more of our core self. This I is guess. so funny because I feel like we are somehow on this extremely parallel journey. When you were talking <laughs> about that, something I've thought about in the last couple of years is how like I don't get to be at my shows. I think I've even talked to you both yes. about this, or yes. Tegan specifically, you. I think we've yes. talked about this. It's like I don't mean that I think I'm the world's most significant artist. But I simply mean that I created the atmosphere that I wanted to exist in the world, but I don't get to be you'll at that nev- show. You'll never get to go I don't to your get show. To you'll never get to experience audience. you. And so for yeah. me, when you're talking about getting down off the stage, that is literally something I have done this year is mm-hmm. gone and sat in the audience because there's a feeling of like, I, w- I didn't feel heard. So then I took up some space to shout for a while and then I felt a little bit more heard by my community, but I felt fucking apart, you know, and I was yeah. tired of feeling apart. So, yeah. Hey, we're just like you. Same. <laughs> we're you know all what's also just trying to figure out how to have community. Totally. Mm-hmm. But also, we really, I think Sarah and I are at the part of the career. Sarah said this uh, now like a month or two, no, like a month ago or something on stage at this event that we were doing. But she was like, we're past the part of giving a fuck what anyone thinks. Like, and mm. not in a bad way, not in a mean, like, I'm going to do something bad and I don't care and there's no consequence. Like, meaning we're we're just at, it's cliche, but we hit the age where it's just like, I don't know, we're good. We're good at what we do. We're going to keep putting everything That's we are right. into the thing. And you're either going to really <laughs> like it or you're not. But we're not We're not going to strategically make ourselves into the thing that we think people will want, even if it's an alternative thing. And the other thing that's happening is that Sarah and I have been around long enough that we are not – that, and we're the kinds of artists like, I'm done if, if I'm just going to play the same game over and over again. I don't want to do it. If I'm bored, if I'm not 100% invested, then what is the point of doing this? And that's a really thrilling and also terrifying place to be in in your career. And, you know, we're about to go out tomorrow night is going to be I think that tomorrow night's the first show I mean now when this airs it won't be but yeah we're about to go out on this tour and do something really different than we've ever done and you know we have all these surprises in store for people but it's also a surprise for us like what will it feel like we're singing each other songs on stage there are points where Sarah's not on stage and I'll be on stage alone which we've never done and Sarah's on stage without me and we it's just it feels really uncomfortable and that feels really exciting because sure and in, in addition to never getting to participate in the culture that we helped to build and create i also never get to experience what it's like to be my own person which you and i have also talked a lot about like yeah. i'm oh, and and sarah and i are in a very respectful like you know tug of war at all times for space for ourselves in this you know duo that we appreciate being in and this collaboration that we've thrived in but I think for the first time in our career we're taking steps to try to really actually stand out on our own and the book was a part of that you know we're on the page one singular voice at a time and that's really scary for the first time you can really hear Sarah's voice and you can really hear mine Well, I know that you both have a hard out. And so I want to just ask you before you head back into your day to shout out a queero, person, place, or thing made you feel like you can be who you are today. And um, do either of you have one? I'm like, "Mm." Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of like something that sort of ties into the to the era of that of of this book and and Mm -hmm. and album. I think, you know, as much as I talk about how there was a lack of representation, I mean, there were little glimpses for me of things that um, that gave me a little bit of hope. Sort of not for the reason you would expect. Ani DeFranco was really interesting to me when I was a teenager. She didn't play the kind of music that I was listening to, but I remember having that ping of like, Mm -hmm. this is something, this is something. Like while it doesn't look, sound, interact with me the way that all the other things I'm interested in, you know, I I should investigate this further. And um, specifically Living in Clip, the live album, I, I was thinking about this while I was writing the memoir, but 
Um, growing up in our family, we listened to Bruce Springsteen live a lot. Like he, sure. he had like a live album, and I was I loved live albums. I loved the sound of an audience. That was like that was like thrilling to me. Like I can remember because you were picturing yourself as the artist sometimes, so. and <laughs> just like the just the the sort of like fierceness and the sort of like vastness of like a huge audience cheer. Sure, just you know probably that's how like people get like. Yeah, that's probably like guys get excited at sports games or whatever. Like I would get excited listening to like Bruce Springsteen, like get a cheer in like an arena. Girls get excited by sports, too. I know, but I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It's a problematic. You know what? Fine. Fine. (laughs) I'm sure lots of lots of girls lay awake at night listening to the sound Uh, of a a football, a football crowd cheering and get excited. But so, anyways, but I used to get excited by that. And um, it was occurring to me as I was thinking about Ani DeFranco and what what she meant to me when I was in high school, because I didn't know that much about her sexuality beyond that somebody said that she was bisexual in some interview. But what thrilled me about her was that in her living in clip, in her live um, recordings, the audience sounded really different than the Bruce Springsteen audience. I wouldn't have made this association probably at the time, sure. but her audience sounded like women. Sure. Period. That makes sense. And, yes. And I think as a young person, it was probably the first time that as I was laying in bed listening to something that I heard the sound of a different kind of an audience, like a different right. kind of like click or different kind of scene. And I, I don't, I wouldn't have known to think like I didn't, I didn't have words for that. I didn't have a shape for that at the time. But like, I think it did signal something that was like different to me. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, and that was, I don't know. I, when I look back at Ani DeFranco, like I did, I sort of had like a brief love affair with Ani DeFranco, like, um, like musically, like I sort of like listened to her during a very specific time. And then I kind of like moved into a very different genre of, I listened to like weird electronic music. Like I don't listen to Ani DeFranco, but she we is, got it. she's kind of like a hero. <laughs> no, but I just mean like she's, she's remained guys. Sarah doesn't listen, loves no. and respects Ani DeFranco, but it's doesn't, not her kind of music. No. She likes electronic music. Yeah. She likes NPR. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I just mean like she's re- remained this significant holdover for me because like a lot of the music I listened to in high school, I wouldn't like. I don't. No, no offense to Smashing Pumpkins and Billy Corgan, but like I would not be like Billy Corgan's still my hero. Like he was my hero when I was fifteen, but like I don't think a lot about Billy Corgan very much in my life anymore. But like Ani DeFranco remains this kind of glimmer of hope for me from my adolescence. Mm-hmm. That not just because of the music or sexuality, but because she was living this kind of life. I think I knew. Would yeah, be she's doing a different thing. Would jive with me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think she's gotten into some like. Some like uh, white people nonsense in the last couple of years, but before that oh. happened, I uh, introed her at uh, an event for the Women's March, and it's funny because I just feel like that person, whenever she meets anybody who looks like they were maybe alive in the '90s, like it's like literally we didn't even say anything to each other. I'm just like, you know what you did, <laughs> you know, like like Ani DeFranco is like that's she was there was no one else. You know what? I, so anyway, there yes. was nothing else. Yeah, it was just yeah. it was huge. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was totally huge. Tegan, and she would swear oh. in her songs. Oh, I loved her. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's. I'm gonna pick and like I I'm just really sh- I'm sh- like I'm gonna use a teenager word, but I'm like very shook by what's happening in in queer music, like LGBTQ identified artists, like yeah. that are blowing up right now. There's just this like unbelievable scene of artists and I'm just so like all of them impress me so deeply you know a lot of it is not just because they're really talented and they're doing really great and they're doing this dance with the mainstream that's really cool Mm -hmm. uh that looks familiar and and um but it's also how they're how they're bringing in their personal lives and how they're bringing in their identity because there's been lots of really successful queer artists over the last two decades but they've been very like hesitant to bring up their lives they really didn't want to be perceived as just a queer artist which is i I completely understand i go through that lot a lot of times too but like i love how i love the narrative around shora's new record about falling in love and speaking so specifically about her relationship and i love muna's like attempt at like like you know I, they're being cheeky but that they're creating heroes for themselves in themselves like this uh, the the sort of like levels of self-love there or mm-hmm. the way that Brandy Carlisle again doing this pretty wild dance with the mainstream right now and commercial music and commercial communities but then is constantly talking about her wife and children online and I right. just I'm, I'm just deeply impressed with just how how quickly some of these artists have not just embraced, like like I think about Janelle Monet and what a journey she's been on the last couple of years in that she didn't just embrace who she is, how she's just consistently pushing the boundary mm-hmm. of where and how much. And I just, it's really, it's pretty awesome. Like, I'm, yeah. I think they're all pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I want to really congratulate you both 
on the book, um, you have individually very impressive vocabularies, and you have, and you write beautiful prose, which is like <laughs> no um, no surprise to me um, because because I care about your writing in general. I was not surprised to find that. I cared about your writing um, in a in a in book form. So huge congratulations! It's it's really big and brave to branch into a new medium, and I'm excited for you on the tour. And um, as you know, Tegan Rain Quinn, Sarah Kirsten Quinn, I consider you individual people. Thank you both for spending time with me today. <laughs> I, uh, I I wish you good luck with the rest of the of your press. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. Cheers. Mm-hmm.